You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on our fourth week entitled Unwavering. And this is actually a series on the faith journey of Abraham. And uh, I hope that you are all learning something on the faith of Abraham because, you know, when you look at his faith, his faith is not really that unwavering because he's actually up and down. It's really God who has been unwavering towards him. And we have actually gone through chapters 12, 13, and 14 in the past three weeks. And we have actually seen how he has grown in his walk and in his faith with God. But at the same time, there are some blunders or wrong decisions that he has made. When he experienced a famine, he went down to Egypt. God had to rescue him there. He had to lie and tell uh, the Pharaoh that Sarai was his sister and so on and so forth. Uh, when he went back to the promised land in the land of Canaan, uh, you know, there were some disputes between his uh, herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, and so they had to separate. And then last week also we talked about how he, you know, had to rescue Lot, you know, and he had to bring about 318 men from his household and attack, you know, mighty armies of uh, four kings uh, led by King Kedarlomer. And so we see the victory that Abraham had, even the standards or the walk of integrity, how the king of Sodom has actually come out and has offered him a plunder, yet he refused, and he chose to be able to meet Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and even give him a tenth of all his goods. And so we see that Abraham's faith is continuing to grow as he is starting to know who God is. Now, you know, just to give us a background, before God found Abraham, First 75 years of Abraham's life, he was a nobody. He was a pagan. He was probably an idol worshiper until God called him out of Ur to Haran and then to the land of Canaan. And from there, he's starting a new relationship with him. And so Abraham is, you know, walking with God for the first time, learning who this God is. You know, he is known to be the first, maybe the first guy who became a monotheistic uh, uh, believer. You know, because many of the pagan believers there worship different kinds of idols and different kinds of gods. And this is Abraham finally has now focused on one God, and the God is no less than the creator of the ends of the earth. And so here we pick up the story in uh, Genesis chapter 15. And so if you have your Bibles, would you kindly open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, and we'll be reading from verses 1 verse 6. Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament, so it's a nice read, English Standard Version. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not. Everybody say, fear not. Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Let's all read the last verse, verse 6, all together, 1, 2, 3. And he believed the Lord, 
and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together. We ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. And once again, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here. We ask that you would open up our hearts and our spiritual ears to hear what you want to speak to us. May we consider Abraham as our father in the faith indeed, and may we also emulate his walk with you. Bless everybody, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Abraham is actually his first name until later on in chapter 17, God, you will notice that he will change his name from Abraham to Abraham. Abraham means exalted father. Uh, Abraham means father of many nations. And uh, we're focusing now on Genesis chapter 15, which is really the time when God will now cut a covenant with Abraham. You know, that's the term that they use in cutting a covenant. They don't sign a covenant. They cut a covenant during that time. It's a familiar, it's a very familiar, you know, language for them. You know, how many of you have signed a contract when you got married? Those of you who are married, you hope you did, okay? If not, void the bullion, okay? But, you know, we all sign something, right? But in those days, it's about cutting a covenant. And so when you talk about covenant, covenant really represents a relationship. And we all know that Abraham's name is the friend of God. He's also called to be the father of the faithful. And so he's learning, he's growing in his walk with him. And so today we're going to be looking at what the covenant is all about. We've read in verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. In fact, this is the only time that you will find in the book of Genesis wherein the word vision has come out. Okay? This is the only time. All the rest, you know, it's probably a dream. God spoke to him. You know, why vision? Maybe because, you know, God wanted him to be awake when he's talking to him, conscious, as in like he's not dreaming, that he's now learning how to converse with God. And this is now the first, almost like the first recorded conversation between Abraham and God. That all the rest of the time, when God called Abraham in chapter 12, 13, 14, it was God. It's a one-way thing. God was telling him what to do. God was telling him about his promise. God was promising him something. God showing him something that he will be mighty in this land. That, you know, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you descendants and so on and so forth. Now here we see that Abraham is starting to converse with God. And so the Lord said to Abraham, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And why did God, out of the blue, after the, you know, after the encounter with Melchizedek, you know, started talking to Abram, and the first words that came out of his mouth is, fear not. You know, maybe because there's something to fear. Every time we hear the word fear not in the Bible, it's almost like a warning of what is up ahead. You know, when God tells Joshua, fear not, because there's going to be giants in the land. How many of you know that? You need to prepare because there's going to be opposition, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be problems on your way. So the attitude ought to be, fear not. You know, when Mary was told by God that you're going to be pregnant with a child, fear not. Joseph, the husband of Mary, was told by the angel that your wife will be pregnant. And by the way, he's not your child, fear not. How many of you know that? We, you know, that's just natural, that you will fear and you don't know what to do in those kinds of situations. And so God is telling Abraham, fear not. And then he promised him, him this. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
You know, remember in chapter 13, he just defeated four mighty armies, you know, led by one of the kings against the king of Sodom uh, named uh, Kedar Lomer. He just experienced victory. He led 318 men from his own household, you know, all raised from within. You know, these are not his sons because he's got no child, but these are like men who's working for him. Maybe they came from Ur, some of them, and maybe some of them are acquired, I don't know, I don't know if they're coming from Egypt or, you know, we don't know. Some of them are from Damascus. And so we know that they have some, you know, he's got some form of victory. Yet against four armies, we know that it was God who fought his battle. And so my question for us today or this afternoon is, are there things in your life that God is actually addressing these two words, fear not? You know, do you have some anxieties or some, you know, challenges or some... I don't know, unsure future that gives you sleepless nights. And God is saying to you, just like Abraham, fear not. Fear not because I am your shield. Fear not because I am your great reward. In other words, what he's saying is, it's not about you, Abraham. It's about me. What he's saying is, don't think about, it's the 318 men that help you defeat these kings. It's about me because I am your shield. And I am your great reward. And so, you know, if you look and take stock with what you have right now, maybe, you know, you're, you're having some problems in, I don't know, in the office, with the relationship, with your health, with finances, in your marriage. You know, I believe God wants to encourage you this afternoon. He's saying the same words to you. He is your great reward. He is your shield. He'll fight for you. Fear not. You know, we need to have an encouragement on a daily basis. You know, this world will actually put fear in our hearts. The moment you wake up in the morning, you hear bad news. Guess what? It, you know, fear just drops there. The seed of fear always is there. But yet God is, I believe, assuring us there's nothing to fear because I am your shield and I am your great reward. Can you imagine? You know, if, you are the sh if God is our shield, there's nothing to fear. You know, his victory over these four kings is really unheard of. If his story is being studied or read by the conquerors of the first and second century like Napoleon or, or uh, Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan, they're probably going to wonder how did this guy win the battle against four kings? Simple lang. God is on his side. And if God is on our side, guess what? You're a sure winner. You plus God equals the majority. Fear not, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Was Abraham fearful at this time? You know, he was just, you know, maybe celebrating, but at the same time, he was now wondering, okay, I defeated the four kings. Now I'm going back. What if they ask for rest back? What if they go back and, you know, they're going to be, you know, assembling again? You know, maybe he's thinking about that. And I don't have even, you know, enough manpower to go against them. He's probably thinking, should I continue with my walk with God? Should I continue with the adventure with Him or not? And so we see that there are four great crises that Abraham had to go through. We see that very quickly in Genesis chapter 12. The first crisis was when God told him to go. He had to go and leave his country, father's household, and people and go to a land that he is not even aware of. Now we are seeing that in Genesis chapter 15, this is the time wherein God is 
making the same promise. I'm going to give you an offspring. I'm going to give you this land. And so he had to, once again, believe the promise of God and say, okay, Lord, if you say it, I believe it, that settles it. Genesis chapter 17, Abraham is talking to God again. He said, Lord, after 24 years of being in this land of Canaan, I'm 99 years old. Sarah is 90 almost. And I still don't have a child. And we'll see that in Genesis chapter 17, maybe a week or two weeks from now, on how God is saying, is there any problem there? Are you in a hurry? Lord, how many of you know that with God, all things are possible in His name? Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Even the situation of Abram, 99, almost 100. Sarah is 89, almost 90. And yet the year after that, Isaac was born. The next crisis, the fourth crisis in his life was God asked for him to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son that he loves. And guess what he did? He obliged. And he was willing to sacrifice and surrender his very own son. In fact, according to Tim Keller, if someone would put up a schematic plan or a schematic summary of the life of Abraham, this is actually what we will find out in his journey. God said, I'm sending you out. Abraham said, where? God said, I'll tell you later. Just go. How many of you can relate with that? Lord, pinapalabas mo, at least tell me where to go. At least tell me what to do. And this is Abraham, and he's being told by God, just go and I'm going to guide you in your footsteps. How many of you are willing to obey like Abraham? I mean, it's raw faith. I call it raw faith. I'm pretty sure that God is testing this man, and that's just the beginning of it. God said, I'll give you this land. Abraham said, where? God said, I'll tell you later. Just wander, just go around, you know, see the view, just drive around, you know. And we see this in Genesis chapter 13. When finally Lot and Abraham separated ways and Lot chose, remember that story last week, right? He chose the place near Sodom. Eventually he was inside Sodom and Abraham stayed in the promised land because he let God choose for him. And God told him in Genesis chapter 13, just take a survey of the land the length and the breadth, and how all these things are yours. And as he surveyed, guess what? He saw a lot of enemies there. He saw the parasites. He saw the Canaanites. In fact, later on in this chapter, you know, in Genesis chapter 12, it was just the Canaanites. In Genesis chapter 13, it was two tribes, Canaanites and parasites. Now here in Genesis chapter 15, I'll just read this. You don't have to turn there. But in the last verses of that same chapter that we've read, it says, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, Mosquito Bites, uh, you know, whatever it is. And it's all there, all that headache that they're about to face. God is summarizing it here. From Genesis chapter 12, one tribe, Genesis chapter 15, two tribes. Now in Genesis chapter 15, after how many years? More enemies. And yet God is promising, I'll give you this land. You know, we actually might face a lot of oppositions in our daily walk with God. But if God says it, that settles it. 
I believe it. Come on now. Let's give the Lord a hand. You know, that's, that's how faithful our God is. God said, I'll give you a child. Abraham said, how? God said, I'll tell you later. Just wait. Do you see the pattern here? God is more interested in their relationship more than his blessing towards Abraham. He gave Abraham the blessing from day one. He said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. Whoever curses you will be cursed. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. See the testings that Abraham had to go through. Yes, he's laying claim of the promise of God. And finally, God gave a child to Abraham. And God said, kill your child. Abraham said, why? God said, I'll tell you later. Just climb the mountain and bring the knife and fire. And we'll see what happens next. And of course, we see that, you know, we're going to talk about that. It's the last week of the series, how Abraham, by faith, obeyed God. And God just rescued him and proved himself to be Jehovah Jireh, the one who will provide. In other words, if you look at the history of Abraham, really, it's, it's a growing relationship with the Lord. And we are now here. He just, you know, explored the land, Genesis chapter 13. He won the fight against the kings. Now he's back here again, and he's asking for the heir of the promise. Somehow his faith is a little bit low because, you know, after all the win, he looks at his family and his household, where's my son? You said I'm going to have a child, but even up to now, there's no child. Even up to now, there's no young boy running around the house. Lord naman, di ba? Sabi Lord, bata ka pa. 99 years old. So Abraham said to the Lord, and this is the first conversation that he had with God. Oh Lord God, what will you give me? It's almost like he's, I don't know if he's whining here, or it's kind of like, may tampo ng konti kay Lord. For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, if you were Eliezer, what would you feel? Excited. Lord, malapit na tong isang amo ko. You know, actually, you know, I'm gonna own all this. There's no heir, apparent. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So it's almost like, Lord, you, you promised, but yet your promise is not yet here. Have you ever heard God promise you something, and yet that promise is not yet there? Just hold on. Just wait. The one who gave the promise is always faithful to fulfill that promise. Amen. I know it's going to be difficult, you know, looking at Abram's life. Ah, talagang challenging to believe for, you know, just the impossible. If you are Abram at 99 years old, I think, you know, Lord, I want to rest. I'm tired. I've been walking around this vast desert and I want to rest. Don't give me a child anymore. I don't want to play basketball with him. I don't want to bring him to school. I don't want to, you know, homeschool him. I don't, you know, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I don't want to discipline him. I'm too old for that. But yet God had a plan. Abraham had to submit. God is never too late to fulfill His promise to us. His timing is always the right time. God will make things beautiful in His time. The beauty of how God is to us, you know, when we relate with Him, when we walk with Him, you know, I think He just wants us to know who He is. Basically, that's the objective of God. He did not want to punish Abraham. He's just teaching him who he was in his life. It's really a sign of relationship. No wonder he's called the friend of God. They became really close. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, that this man shall not be your heir and your very own son 
shall be your heir. And so God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward the heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. So God finally just said, Let's take a walk. And so God told him, Look at the stars. I created them. Can you count them? How many of you tried counting the stars? It's impossible, right? Because there are still new stars being created right now as we speak. New stars being born. God's a creative God. He didn't stop creating. He's still creating until today. So God showed Abraham a sign that would remind him daily. Everybody say daily. Daily of God's promise. Every time he would go outside and looking up, that's the promise of God. God gave Noah a sign. And what was the sign of Noah? The rainbow, right? And when does a rainbow come out? After the rain. There is a bow, right? That's why it's called a rainbow. And that's really, that's the reason why it's called a rainbow. But yet, it's only during that time, whenever it rains, God reminds him of the covenant, I'm not going to destroy planet Earth every time you see this rainbow. But the Abrahamic covenant is different. Every time you go out and you look at the stars, you will notice how faithful I am to you. And my promise is there to remind you that I will be faithful to fulfill that. In fact, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 6, he used also, you know, his creation in showing the earlier version, which is the dust of the earth. He used that in Genesis chapter 13. Look at the dust of the earth. If indeed you could count them. How many of you would rather count the stars than the dust, right? You don't want dust in your house, right? So I'd rather count stars. And so out of his own loins, because of God's promise, came great men. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, Caleb, Samuel, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Peter, James, John, John the Baptist, and ultimately, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Out of that handiwork of God, the, sun, the, 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 the stars in the sky, literally God fulfilled His promise that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed out of his loins. What is impossible with man is always possible with God. Fear not. What's interesting is after Abraham believed the Lord, he just said, okay, after he saw the stars, he actually made a decision, I'm, I'm going to believe the Lord. And he counted it to him, the Lord counted it to him or credited it to him as righteousness. In fact, Abraham saw the stars. He believed. He trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast to. This is the first time that the word believe was also mentioned in the Bible. The first time that God actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as Moses was writing the book of Genesis, put their belief. And put their, it's not because of his work, it's because of his belief. It's because of his faith. It's because of his trust. That's why he was righteous. In fact, today, if Abraham was alive today, he would be what you call him being born again. This is what you call the saving kind of faith. Because how many of you know that as a believer, we don't do anything that saves us? God did everything for us. And all we've got to do is just to believe in what Jesus did on that cross. That's exactly what Abraham did. Abraham believed God. Abraham did not just believe in God. Abraham believed God. There's a big difference. You can actually believe in God as if like third person because you heard 
that somebody has a relationship with God and you know God made the promise you can believe in God or you can believe God because you know Him personally. Because there's a relationship. You can believe in God because of His competence and you can hear about His works, but you can believe God because of His character. And you can believe God because of just plain simple who He is. His relationship with you. You know, I've been married for 28 years. And every time my wife would tell me something, I believe in my wife. But yet, I believe my wife. Big difference. When Shirley would actually tell me, you know, I'm going to cook this tonight, I will believe her. Then I believe her more. You may actually believe in somebody, but it's different when you start believing that person because it simply means that you have a relationship with that person. You know that person through and through. And Abraham is not just a person who heard about God. He knows who God is. In fact, there's nobody who talks to God except him at that point in time. You know, how many of you are grateful that you have relationships in church, that when you're discouraged, somebody can pray for you, somebody can, you know, call you, text you, stand with you, you know, uh, encourage you. We can actually just go to somebody, you know, bro, pray mo ako. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a crisis of faith. You know, I'm weak in my faith. And so, but Abraham... He's got nothing to run to. It's only God he runs to. This is where we can see that he actually has a vibrant living relationship with God. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You know, is it a question of doubt now? God just promised, and in the previous verse, it was said he believed God, and now he's asking, uh, Lord, how am I to know? that I will possess it. God reminded him, I am the same God who brought you out. I'm the same God who will fulfill this to you. I, I think Abraham was not in unbelief when he was asking the Lord. It's more of like he just wants to understand. He was asking the Lord, if I may rephrase the question, Lord, help me understand. How will you fulfill this promise that you have given to me? It's not about him. It's about God. And he was asking the Lord, Lord, just help me understand that I may continue to walk in this faith walk with you. Just like, you know, Mary, when he asked the angel who promised her you're going to be pregnant with a child, and, you know, she asked the, uh, the angel, Luke chapter 1, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? I think it's the same inquiry that Mary had, just like what Abraham did to the Lord. In fact, God did not even correct or rebuke Abraham for asking the question. But he answered him differently. He didn't really answer him directly. You know, when, when Abraham was asking, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Are you curious how God answered Abraham? He gave an instruction to Abraham to get animals. Lord, how am I to possess it? Get your chihuahua. Something like that, okay? It doesn't make sense. Lord, how am I to know that I'm going to have a new job? You know, you know, get your shih tzu and, you know, get your you know, talking uh, minor birds, you know, and then, you know, of course, you don't sacrifice it. But in this case, you know, Abraham was asked by God to bring several animals to him. He said, bring me a heifer, which is a young cow, three years old, a female goat, three years old, and a ram, a male sheep, three years old. Now, don't ask me why it's Number three, okay? I don't really know why, okay? Let's ask the Lord when they get to heaven. But anyway, so a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Five animals in all. Three four-legged animals and two 
birds. And so the instruction of God is get me these animals. And how did Abraham respond when he heard this? He got them and he cut them. Did God tell to cut and to cook and to sacrifice? Didn't say anything. But yet for Abraham, he knew what was happening here. You know, we're not familiar with the way the covenant is being done in the ancient Near East. Today, when you sign a contract, it's signing the contract, right? As I said earlier, you sign a contract to get something. You know, for example, if it's a business contract, you're making an agreement that you're going to pay for something for the service that you will get. If it's a marriage, same thing. It's a covenant and it's a contract, but you sign the contract. In those days, nobody signs any contract. They cut the covenant. When God was asking Abraham all these animals, he knew for a fact that this is a covenant ratification ceremony. So he immediately took the animals, cut them into half, laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. You know why? Kawawa naman. Maliit eh, okay? And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them Away. So this is actually a tame version, PG-13 version. Okay, It's not too bloody. This is exactly what happened. He cut the animals into half. It's all bloody there and there's like blood all over the, the, the threshing floor, the, the floor there. Of course, the, I don't know what he did with the birds. He just pinned them there, okay? I don't know, maybe... He, I, okay, come on, come on, okay? So, so basically, this is how covenant was sealed during that time. You know, between two parties... They are to walk in between the dead animals. And what they are saying is, if I am not able to fulfill my promise and my vows, may I be like the dead animals here and may I be cursed to be eaten by the birds of the air. That's exactly what that means. How many of you know that that is a serious covenant act? It's so vivid. Can you imagine if that is what you do in your wedding? It's better than the crazy rich Asians' uh, wedding, right? Anyway, so. But here we see that God was serious. And in those days, when two parties, for example, you know, a greater party is actually making a covenant with a lesser party, a king and a servant, both of them will have to walk in the middle of that animal, you know, dead animal. What the greater party is promising is, I will protect you. And what the lesser party, for example, the conquered nation is saying, or the conquered king, he was saying, I'll be loyal to you. So are you getting the picture? That's exactly what it means for them to go through that covenant ratification ceremony. It was not a sacrifice, by the way. This is not a sacrifice. Abraham created altars before this, but this is not an altar. This is God's initiative to make a covenant, a promise, and to ratify, to seal the promise with something that is visible in the eyes of Abraham. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. As the Lord is about to make an oath with Abraham, for some reason, Abraham fell asleep. I don't know why, but maybe because of the pressure or maybe because God let him fall asleep. The darkness was so overwhelming, maybe. That's why, you know, Abraham fell asleep. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be travelers or sojourners in a, sojourners in a land that is not theirs, 
and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. In fact, he gave them a prophecy. Instead of him continuing to say, I promise to give you this, God spoke a prophetic word which will happen 400 years from that time. And so he prophesied that, you know, you're going to have a lot of descendants, but they're going to be slaves in the land of Egypt. We know that story, right? In the book of Exodus. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they will serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So what he's saying is, Abraham, don't worry about the land. You will have it. Oh, by the way, it's not exactly you that will have it. It's going to be your descendants who will have it. Just enjoy this while you're alive. You're just a carekeeper, you know, a caretaker of the land. But this is really for your descendants who will be coming back here 400 years from now. Are we willing to wait that long for the promise of God to be fulfilled in our life? How many of you are willing to wait for 400 years? Because the truth is, it's not about us. It's really about the purpose of God. And He wants to bring us to His purpose so that we can align with this will. And as for yourself, this is what God gave him as a promise. Okay, by the way, the 400 years, yeah, that's going to happen, and your descendants will inherit this land. As, as for you, okay, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Mamamatay ka. Kung ikaw si Abraham, ang labo naman itong, parang lugi yata ako dito. You used me. But yet, he continued to walk with the Lord. And he was grateful for the fact that he knew God and God had the promise and he would be used by God, his own loins to be used as a vessel for a future nation. You shall be buried in a good old age. The fact is, Abraham did not own any piece of land. He was a wandering Jew. He didn't claim, akin to, you know, remember, there are 10 tribes that are powerful that are in the land already. He did not take possession of the land yet. No chance. He just prayed and wait and wondered inside. All he got was a piece of land, maybe six by twenty, six feet deep. Yeah, yun lang yun. That's it. That's the land that he had, together with his wife, Sarah. Abraham saw the promise of God, but only from a distance. How willing are we to walk in faith? And even see sometimes the promise of God for a distance because we know that it's not for us. It's for our children. It's for our children's children. We're merely caretakers of this while our children are being ready because our children in the future will be mighty in the land. Are we willing to be used by God to prepare the next generation of leaders in this nation? And while we're here, we're going to be faithful in keeping the fort and in obeying God with all our hearts. And then he said, And they shall come back here, the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites are not yet complete. He was waiting for that until he's eventually going to drive them out from that land. So when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring, I will give this land. So here we see going back to the animals there, and as I explained, the two parties are supposed to walk there, but
But this is a unique type of covenant. It was not a bilateral covenant. It was a unilateral covenant wherein God was the only one who walked in the middle of the dead animals. And what he's saying is, Abraham, if I fail to fulfill my part of the promise, may I be cursed just like these animals. May I become immutable. My immutability lose it. May I lose my power and become powerless. May I become, you know, my strength be turned into weakness. So God is actually declaring that if I did not fulfill my part, let the curse fall upon me. And yet it was not yet finished. He continued on by saying, and by the way, since you're sleeping, your part, I'm going to take that also with me. If you fulfill, if you fail to fulfill your part in the covenant that we are cutting, then the curse also be upon me. This, I believe, is a picture of the gospel for us, guys. Abraham did not even do anything, but he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here we notice that there are two things that are present. There's a smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, which is really present during the time of Mount Sinai, Remember the pillar of cloud and the fire by night, which represents the presence of God? The same elements walked in the middle of the animals as a representation of the presence of God, committing himself, binding himself to a covenant with Abraham, will do everything he can to fulfill his part and even fulfill the part of Abraham at that time. What an awesome promise. Centuries later, we see that there is a similar situation that happened in the nation and the city of Jerusalem, where in the darkened clouds are there as well. In Mark chapter 15, verse 33, it says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a time where in God himself, in the form of a man, was finally fulfilling his part of the bargain, of the covenant that he actually signed and ratified during the time of Abraham. Because of man's sin and failure, he said, I'll do this for you. All you got to do is to be like Abraham, to believe in what I'm doing and may it be credited to us as righteousness. Nothing we can add to that. All we've got to do is to believe and to receive the free gift of eternal life. Isaiah chapter 53, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and as for his generation, he was cut out from the land of the living. He used the word cut out from, as if like it's a covenant that he walked there. Once again, when they do a covenant during that time, they cut the covenant. And here we can see that Jesus himself was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of his people. Jesus went to the cross to suffer just like the dead animals there. He was blessed by the Father early on in his ministry, but yet he received the curse on our behalf. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, 
so that you and I would be able to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality is the picture of the promise of God in the covenant of Abraham is really the picture of us today. It is more than just him promising a son and a land to Abraham. His idea is to bless the nations of the earth with the gospel of Christ. And ultimately, when he gave his own life for us on that cross, his body was pierced, his body was beaten, his body was broken for us. So that instead of you and I receiving the curse because of our failure and because of our sin, Jesus in the middle of the mountain was receiving all the curse from the Father or from our sins rather. And that's why he said, Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the curse. It was heavy upon him because of the covenant of God that he initially made with Abraham. God's commitment to his covenant is going to be unwavering. It will continue. I believe that when God was cutting his covenant with Abraham, he was seeing your faces and our faces and he's saying this is not just for your son Isaac or for the land of Egypt or the land of Israel it's for your future children Romans chapter 4 verse 20 and we're, we're gonna worship in a while without weakening his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. What is that promise that you are fighting for right now? I believe God wants to speak to us and encourage us. If God is able to fulfill this 2,000 years ago because of Jesus going to the cross, how much more the other promise that he has for us, he can do it for you. Nothing is impossible with God. Fear not. It's believe in Him. He's going to be your shield, your great reward. That is why it is credited to Him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to Him, were written not for Him alone, but for us, Christians, believers, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Galatians chapter 3, my last verse. If you belong to Christ, how many of you belong to Christ? Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God cut this covenant not only for the nation of Israel, but God cut this covenant so that you and I would be the direct beneficiaries for us today, the 21st century. Because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have been heirs of the promise that God cut with Abraham. Amen? Maybe some of us are going through a journey of faith and yet there are some fears that we have just like when God was telling Abraham fear not you know there might be an impossible situation that you're facing right now maybe a fork on the road maybe a decision you're about to make maybe a challenge in your family a challenge in your business a challenge in your health maybe emotionally your challenge maybe you're facing a giant that you have never faced before but yet God wants to hear that for you to hear that he is your shield and he is your great reward. Fear not, my son, my daughter. I'm going to be with you in this situation. So if you are that person, all you got to do is to acknowledge, 
our need for Him. And whatever it is that you're going through right now, I want, you to, I want us to lift up our hands. If you are going through that, let's just humble ourselves for the Lord and say, God, help me in this. Help me in this situation. This may be you know, something that is beyond me, something that is impossible with me, something that I'm facing for the first time. Lord, you see our hands. And Father, we humble ourselves before you. We're saying, God, we are not perfect. But we're saying that we're not control, in control of our situation. We're saying we're not in charge. But Lord, we're also saying that you are in charge. We're also saying that you are our shield. You're, uh, you are our present help in our time of trouble. You are our mighty reward. You are our God who will deliver us. You're the one who will heal us. You're the one who will provide for us. You're the one who will give us wisdom, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you will speak in every situation, even right now, God. Lord, we submit to you our hearts, Lord. Lord, I know, God, that we may be going through... Lord, Lord, faith is not the absence of fear, God, but yet it's, Lord, it's an acknowledgement of your everyday presence in our lives. We may feel it, but yet we can overcome it because you're always with us, Lord God. And so, God, we submit to you these things. Just submit that thing to the Lord right now. If you're going through that situation, just give it to the Lord right now. If it's health, if it's you know, wisdom, if it's finance, if it's family, probably just lift it up before the Lord and just, you know, under your breath, just say, God, I just lift it up to you. And I just let go. And I thank you, Lord God, that you will lift me up, God. And may our attitude be in verse 6, may we believe God and may it be credited to you and I as righteousness. It's not about your strength. It's not about our power. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Father, thank you. Encourage your people this, this afternoon, God. Lord, breathe new life and faith and hope and joy. May the joy of the Lord be their strength, God. And I thank you, Lord. Indeed, nothing is impossible with you. We declare that, Lord, in every situation right now, in the name of Jesus. Health problems, be gone. Finances, be gone in the name of Jesus. Family problems, I pray, God, that you would restore, restore, restore. Heal, Lord God. Give us wisdom in our work, God. Give promotion to those who are in need of promotion, God. Give financial breakthrough, Lord God, to those who are in lack. And ultimately, we look to you as our source of faith, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that you will continue to encourage your people, Lord God. Father, as we leave this place, may your blessing be upon your people. We continue to acknowledge that impossibilities are in your hand. And we pray, God, that you would help us to maintain our faith walk with you. Thank you, Lord God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and grant you peace. May the love of our Heavenly Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen.